Email ray at rte.ie. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Now, you may have noticed we're seeing more and more references to deep fakes uh, in the news cycle. Taylor Swift was the latest high-profile target of deep fake pornography. Uh, last week, we spoke about the scam in Hong Kong where a finance worker apparently paid out $25 million after a deep fake video call. Uh, to chat more about this topic, I'm joined by Henry Adger, uh, an AI and deepfake expert advisor. He's advised Meta, the European Commission and the BBC on the opportunities and the challenges of artificial intelligence. He's also a visiting researcher at the University of Cambridge and he's on the line now. Hello, Henry. Hey, Ray. How's it going? How do we know you are really Henry? <laughs> I hope your producers have done their due diligence. <laughs> yeah, well, we're nearly at that level, aren't we, Henry? You know, that you can't be sure of most things. Yeah, so I think, you know, particularly over the last 18 months, we've really seen this kind of trifecta of three key areas coming together, which have really changed the landscape. And that's the realism that these AI-generated outputs can achieve. So how hyper-realistic they are, how much they sound like a real person, how much they look like a real person. The efficiency of the, the AI models that are used to generate them, so how much data they need, how much computational power they need. But then arguably, most critically, we've seen a real democratization and a real explosion of accessible tools that anyone can use. You don't have to be a computer scientist anymore to get these tools in your hands and actually create content. And so those three factors coming together have really, I believe, led to the massive kind of jump in the amount of cases we're hearing about and the volume of this content that's out there. And it seems to me that people who involve themselves in scams uh, and the like, they jump on technology like this quicker than the rest of us. I guess so, yes. And I think it's, you know, from, from their perspectives, right, they're looking to almost as a business make their operations more efficient in a perverse way, right? Mm. So if these tools allow them to target people um, at, a, at a larger scale so they can automate the process, if it opens up new avenues of attack, so it allows them to kind of find novel ways to scam people, to defraud people, to abuse people in the case of non-consensual deepfake pornography, they're going to take it because that's that's how they run their their operations, right? So we really have seen a kind of a, a large increase in the number of attacks, not just against celebrities, but also private individuals in a way that previously wasn't the case. And part of that, again, is down to these AI models um, becoming much better at training on smaller amounts of data. So in the case of voice audio, for example, what might have previously taken half an hour of high-quality voice audio to train a model that wasn't that good now might be the case of 30 seconds a minute to achieve a really hyper-realistic quality output. So, yes, scammers and bad actors, unfortunately, do jump on these things quite quickly. So people can make people say things they've never said? Yes, yes, that's correct. Right. Um, and, and this can happen in two ways. So you have what's called text-to-speech, which I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with. That is, you type in a sentence or a phrase... Um, and the voice kind of speaks it. Or you can have what's called speech-to-speech cloning, which is what was also referred to as voice skinning. So imagine me speaking right now, and then you can kind of skin that performance of the way that I'm speaking, the pauses, with someone else's voice, the sound of someone else's voice. Um, But the majority of the cases are with text-to-speech we're seeing right now. Now, when we talk about this on the programme, we get texts from people going, well, this doesn't affect me. Uh, I'm not Taylor Swift, never will be. I don't run a bank in Hong Kong, so nobody's going to swindle me out of 25 million. Uh, So I suppose people are turning a blind eye to it because they think 
uh, that it's not going to affect their day-to-day lives. Are they right? Um, unfortunately not. And that's something that's relatively new. So I, I've been working on this space for just over six years. And that, they would have been perhaps right around the beginning of that time period when people were predominantly targeting celebrities. They were going after CEOs, you know, high-flying business figures and scam contacts, politicians and so on. But again, there's this direct relationship between these tools becoming more accessible to everyday people. They don't require that expertise to use. And the victims or the people being targeted increasingly becoming private individuals. So there have been cases in the US of families getting calls from what appear to be their loved ones saying, I've been kidnapped, you need to pay a ransom to this to this person. Um you know, there have been cases uh, I've heard about directly from uh, young women being targeted in schools. Um, so in some cases, even children being targeted by deepfake non-consensual pornography. Um, and it is increasingly a problem that everyday people are having to to deal with and are being targeted by. So un- unfortunately, it's not the case. And obviously, private individuals don't have the money and the resources that the celebrities and perhaps politicians do to respond to these um, to these attacks. Mm. Uh, and, you know, everybody's saying half the world is voting in elections this year. Uh, does this sort of AI threaten democracy in any way? I think it does pose a threat. The real kind of interesting question is how much of a threat? Mm. So we have seen already this year, we've seen, for example, Imran Khan, the previous Pakistani prime minister who was in jail, Um, releasing an AI-generated victory speech in his voice following the elections where some of his allies um, won the um, the, the overall vote. We've seen fake uh, Joe Biden robocalls um, targeting, I believe it was New Hampshire voters, telling them not to vote. We're seeing scandals in Mexico City where the mayor has allegedly been attacked uh, or targeted by voice cloning um, to kind of uh, incriminate him. So we are seeing it increasingly being used. And we're also seeing it being used in a kind of satire and critical kind of art context as well. Mm. The real open question is, how much impact are they actually having on voters? Are they actually changing voters' minds? Are they actually affecting result outcomes? And I feel really it's going to be very hard to tell until the dust has settled, really. Um, And we can kind of do research retrospectively. Um, but there's no doubt that people are trying to use it in this way. But you know that that old saying, um, you know, um, a lie is halfway around the world uh, before the truth is even put on its boots. Um, so, so that if something is fake, it's done the rounds and then you're on the back foot immediately trying to say, well, that wasn't me. I didn't say that. I wasn't there. Oh, absolutely. And this is one of the challenges we've seen um, a case I worked on in uh, Myanmar uh, a few years ago, where a video of a minister giving a forced confession, people actually thought it was a deepfake and it wasn't. Right. But by the time that the message that it was a deepfake had kind of spread, obviously everyone who saw that message wasn't necessarily going to see the correction. Uh-huh. And as you said, the kind of the, the thought or the belief has formed. Mm. So kind of correcting the record is very difficult and you're never going to kind of you know, rectify that in the minds of everyone who has started to believe otherwise. Um, I think... And and just so people understand, like, you know, there was that case last week with a a news channel in Australia where they put a picture of an MP up and the original picture had her wearing a nice white linen dress and the picture they put up in their broadcast uh, turned the dress into a belly top. Uh, they increased the size of her breasts. Uh, so it was a different picture completely. And when challenged, they said that the the AI did it 
itself, which and that's ridiculous as well. So people need to know that that the chat GPT can't go off on a solo run. Yes, at least for now. I mean, this is one of the next frontiers that we are looking towards. I think you're absolutely right in the case um, that you just mentioned in Australia. There was a choice of them to publish that image, right? So even if they had used an image generation tool to generate that image, they had a choice whether they were going to kind of run with it, so mm. to speak, or not. So kind of saying, oh, it was the AI, not us, is, is not true. There is an executive decision by a human being that's still involved there. But we are seeing moves towards increasingly what are called auto agents or AI agents, which are essentially you kind of can give some of these models a task, a goal, an aim. Um, and then using a, a variety of different tool sets, the idea is it can go and achieve those aims. So it might be, you know, increase engagement on our social media posts by 20%. And, you know, this, this model then essentially is allowed to kind of go and do whatever it feels it needs to do to, to reach that goal. Um, they're still very early. They're still not fantastic. But that's definitely the direction okay. we're moving in. I know you've given advice to the, the UK government. How do we police this? How do governments police it? Well, I guess the short answer is with difficulty. Right. <laughs> um, it's it's a it is a really difficult space to manage for a couple of reasons. So so one is you know a lot of this is happening on the internet, a place where anonymity and uh, and um, you know kind of justice is very hard to to kind of bring in a lot of cases. Um, often that means going to the social media platforms and saying, look, you need to do a better job of moderating the content that's shared on your platforms. Mm. You need to make sure your plat your platform policies are robust. And that, yeah, you know, your policies are only as good as your ability to enforce them. So you need to actually resource well. Um, but then you also, yeah, have the challenge of, you know, the fact that a lot of these tools are being released in what's called open source capacities. That is, they're kind of available to anyone to develop and kind of implement the code as they want. And that's really, really difficult because a piece of code that could be created with the best of intentions could then be weaponized um, and shared pretty openly on the internet in a way that's very hard to, to police. So my kind of view is with the government side of things and regulation, it's you've got to kind of go after the harms themselves. It's very difficult to regulate um, the actual kind of technology's proliferation. But there's no doubt that the platforms that where this content's being shared and the companies developing the technology need to be doing more to kind of introduce safety rails on creation and better enforcement when sharing. Yeah, because they can do whatever they like when they're tracking our say, our buying habits so they know what ads to give us. And I know that if, if you go on your phone and you edit a photograph, that, that's recorded. So they would have the wherewithal to monitor video clips and know if they've been tampered with. Uh, and they should immediately, they, they, they have the wherewithal just to block those immediately before it even goes to some sort of moderator. Unfortunately, which is, you know, if you're using a piece of software um, that is for video editing or a piece of, you know, deepfake creation software, there is nothing inherent to that piece of software which is necessarily going to inform anyone that right. what you've created is a deepfake. One of the organizations I advise is called the Content Authenticity Initiative, and this is an attempt to try and fix this problem by using an authentication technology which does secure what's called metadata, essentially kind of like a, a nutrition label to the piece of media yeah. as it's created yeah. so people can see that. Um, but it, it is very difficult, and this is one of the big challenges, is how do we detect and actually spot this content as it becomes more realistic? Um, and a lot of the automated tools for doing this, as well as the human eye, 
are increasingly unreliable. So it isn't necessarily a given that we'll just be able to find it easily and then take it down. It would be a much simpler problem to deal with if we could do that. What do, um, Me what do Meta think? On their behalf, um, unfortunately, I'm no, just no, advisor. no, I know. I was, I was um, going to smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but um, and what I can say is that Meta have just recently announced that they are going to be um, supporting this um, technology that the CAI is advocating for. It's called C2PA, um, and um, that's that's going to be um, on their platforms, so that there is going to be that extra layer of um, authenticity available for end users, which is super important because it's not fair to expect your everyday listener to your show to become a digital Sherlock, to spot all of this stuff, right, with the naked mm. eye. Um, it's not sustainable moving forward in particular as this stuff gets better and better. So we really need to rethink our relationship with digital media and kind of recognize seeing is no longer necessarily believing yes. and look for that extra level of authenticity that these kinds of technological standards can provide. Because already a number of well-known newscasters and our Taoiseach have been used um, uh, and deep fake versions of them. Uh, to sell bitcoins, etc. Um, so people need to be uh, wary. And so do we all need to police it or what do we do? What do individuals do? What can we do? Well, this, this is a really difficult question, right? Because on one level, it's really important for your audience to understand the speed at which this technology is moving and what is now possible to the point where your loved one's voice can be realistically replicated. Uh, AI-generated images and videos can be shared that are going to be very hard for you to spot. But that awareness on its own is kind of depressing and difficult, right? It's like, well, okay, um, you can't believe anything you see anymore. Good luck. That's kind of a bit of a, a nihilistic perspective almost mm. to provide, right? So yeah. what we really need to do, in my view, is pursue these kinds of authentication standards that provide that security, that provide that trust again in digital media. Yeah. At the same time that we see the platforms uh, doing a better job of policing what's happening on their platforms and also governments um, putting in legislation both to encourage responsible development, but also hold account the companies and organizations who are developing tools which are easy to misuse um, or just don't have proper safety nets in place to stop people misusing them. So the future could be when you get a piece of video uh, on Instagram or whatever, you click on something and it gives you the list of, say, for example, it was Leo Varadkar, Taoiseach. So it might give you the original mm. piece and then it'll give you, you know, AI-generated voice. So immediately you will know from looking at the list of ingredients, as you say, that this is a fake. Something along those lines, exactly. Yes, yeah, so yeah. the the idea is you kind of, as I said, you kind of have this nutrition label idea. So it's kind of a little icon that you will click on. It will tell you perhaps when it was created. Um, you know, it might tell you the software that's been used. It might tell you how it's been edited since its original creation. Yeah. The caveat here, of course, is that bad actors, people who are trying to fool people, aren't going to use those standards, right? They're not going to include that data. But the reason that it's important is for, you, for people who are looking for trusted media sources, they might start thinking, well, okay, if there's a, a video of Leo Varadka kind of doing the rounds, if it doesn't have that secure um, data attached, if it doesn't have that little kind of label, that nutrition label, I'm not going to trust it in the same uh -huh. way I would a piece yeah. of media that does. So it's not just about looking for it, it's also looking for when it's not there, uh -huh. if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Henry Adger, thanks for that very enlightening chat today. I'm sure we'll speak in the future. Thanks, Henry. Mind yourself. Bye. Bye. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1.